You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, who provide innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Sunwiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, one step off the grid and the electric vehicle website, thedriven.io. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. How are you, Nigel? Excellent. Thank you, Giles. How are you going this week? Mate, I'm wrestling with my carbon footprint. Are you, you, mate? (laughs) Shit. I've got, I the electric, I've got the electric, I know, I don't, don't you hate it? But look, I've got the electric vehicle, I've got the rooftop solar, I've got a battery, yeah. small as it is. But yeah. this, So what's this, going wrong? Mate, this week we went out and bought a soda stream thing, carbonated water, and it's just yes. got me worried. I mean, we're putting oh. carbon dioxide into the water to make bubbles. Now, at what point is this CO2 sequestered? Is it in the drink? Is it when I swallow it? And if I go to the bathroom, do I lose all my carbon credits? <laughs> I just, if there's any carbon experts out there, is this whole episode going to be like this? Someone from the Carbon Markets Institute's got to help me out here because, you know, I I either want to sort of onsell my credits. I mean, is it additional? Is it, you know, I mean, look, these are are some of the the issues. Have I I actually come across carbon capture and storage or do I have a problem with the storage? Um, (laughs) Look, so you can see my problem. I mean, no wonder I haven't slept all week, you know. it's, It's no wonder. It's a funny old world because, you know, on the one hand, you know, I must admit in in our world, uh, a lot of time at home, it's cold winter, you know, we're more, I'm at home all the time now and the heaters are on, it's cold and uh, we're burning energy like it's going out of fashion. We've got a little solar system as well, we're only in a rental, so there's only so much we can do. And so, and I, I know, you know, in, in times like the last three months, as, as fabulous as the recovery is being in Australia and how exciting it is that we're seeing life get back to normal, um, there's no doubt that, you know, your priorities kind of become uh, become a bit different, right? And, um, you know, whether you're sequestering that carbon effectively <laughs> or not, I don't the, know. But, you know, the hand, priorities. They're handing out grants for carbon capture and storage. Maybe I should apply. You know, just sort of... <laughs> I just think, God. Um, actually, talking about working at home and having the heater on, someone actually sent me through a um, a bit of a graph. Look, it was a bit of a promo for their product, I think, or for the consultancy or whatever it was, and apologies to who it was because I can't quite think of who you are off the top of my head, but talked about everyone working at home over winter, having the heating on and hitting themselves with another $200 million worth of electricity bills over the year. Now, that's obviously Australia-wide, and I guess it has the potential to be mitigated by people with rooftop solar, but... Um, that's interesting. Now, Nigel, you must be wondering why on earth BP let you go, um, along with a couple ago. of other years ago now, years ago. I think they wish they kept you on, along with all, a bunch of other solar luminaries. because Groundhog they've, um, Day. Groundhog Day. Yeah. Look, for those who haven't caught up, BP's just announced uh, this week that they've had a look in their, um, um, had a look in the cookie jar. 
and had a look at what the COVID-19 pandemic has had on demand, had a look at future demand forecasts, had a look at what most countries are doing in terms of recovery plans and figured that the oil and gas industry isn't quite as rosy as they might have thought. They're going to write down, they flag mm. write downs of about $25 billion Australian. Um, Fair chunk of change. Um, Fair chunk of chain. I mean, not a huge amount for an oil and gas giant. I mean, they could probably write that off and keep mm. going. But what's really interesting is that this they're actually talking about a more rapid transition to clean energy. And you're kind of seeing this with a whole bunch of other oil and gas giants. It's ENI, it's NL, um, yes. it's Total, uh, mm. it's, you know, Shell and um, Equi. Equinor, I think it is. Look, to, to different degrees. I mean, it's not like they're just sort of bailing out of the industry and sort of stopping oil, oil and gas production now. But what they're not doing or what they're thinking really hard about is, you know, doing these new developments that they had. And basically, most of their capital value or their market value is based on the stuff that they haven't yet dug out of the ground. And the chances are they're not going to be able to do that. So they write off those and they're just accelerating the transition into wind and solar. And of course, you can remind us of what they used to do. I mean, they used to be a leader in solar. They were the biggest, uh, in fact, uh, the biggest biggest solar company in the world for many, many years. And I was um, very proud and delighted to spend 11 years there, Giles, and uh, the you know, mergers and acquisitions and, you know, various different entities took place over the years and different strategies, of course, and uh, ultimately, you know, the BP Solar Division was closed down after many, many years, I think nearly three decades of 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 investment um and and they, it, 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 either side of a, a wonderful marketing uh, campaign beyond petroleum wasn't it or something like that which they spent beyond petroleum spent, that's right and they actually spent 240 million dollars on that maybe pounds but i think whatever whatever the number was it was more than what they actually spent on, they spent more on the marketing than they actually did on the new technologies but anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> back at bp solar they were actually doing decent things <laughs> Oh, they were doing wonderful things. It was, it's, you know, an enormous drive, great people, very genuine. You know, we, we, in fact, in Australia, more people are employed in the solar division than were employed in the rest of BP um, at, at, at one stage. Uh, so, you know, it was a serious, serious business and um, sadly no more. Uh, but what struck me um, about this statement was I kind of went, ah, okay, so they've lost a lot of money through COVID. It's not the first time they, they've suffered a bump in the road. Um, um, and and you know had a lot of a lot of losses and stuff, but their, their, their kind of announcement led me to the website. To be honest, Giles, I went, oh, okay, hang on, are we? Is it Groundhog Day? Are they going to reinvent all these um, investments in renewable energy and various other things that they've done over the years? And I sort of dug around, um, and and I went to their website actually into the energy transition section of their website and find out how BP is working to help meet the world's need for more energy while lowering carbon emissions. Clicked on the link, and you know where it took me, Giles? It said, "Sorry, we can't find that page." <laughs> Which actually really summed the whole thing up to me oh, because dear. because you know despite the the rhetoric the current rhetoric around what they're doing um when you dig around there's there's not heaps they've got some bio, they've got a lot of biofuel investments that makes sense you know they're into fuels and they understand that technology better than most um they got a few wind farms they haven't much else uh, done much else they've made some investments in light source bp which you talked which you've talked about before giles um, yeah, no, a few solar, a few, and a few solar uh, also in uh, grid source. Um, 
So, you know, they've made investments over the years, but, um, you know, at the moment they don't really, you know, the page isn't found. Um, let's just say that. And um, it'll be really, really interesting to see ultimately whether they do make a genuine shift uh, back to where they've been before. You know, they, they recently announced a feasibility study into a hydrogen uh, plant in Geraldton in WA, which is fantastic. But if you look back through um, the wonderful, wonderful internet, you'll find presentations going back 10 or 15 years and press releases and stuff talking about the hydrogen bus trials that they did did uh, in Perth back in 2010. Uh, I found a fascinating uh, presentation from the Australian Institute from Energy talking about the future of the future of hydrogen uh, and how it was going to be incredibly cheap. Um, and, you know, ultimately what all this led me to was, Giles, the, the same conclusion that, you know, when you look at the fossil fuel forecast, be they hydrogen or gas or, or coal or anything else, they've been incredibly optimistic for the last sort of decade or so. And by contrast, when you look at the renewable forecast, they've all been too pessimistic. So, you know, let's hope BP does some of the great things that they previously did in renewables and really gets behind it. Hmm. But at the moment, they can't find the page. Look, there's a simple reason for that sort of optimism versus pessimism. There has been so much money invested and locked away and sort of dreamed of from the fossil fuel companies. I mean, those big oil companies and gas companies, I mean, they're worth, you know, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. And it's basically on the stuff mm. that everyone presumed that they would be able to exploit and they would be able to dig up. Um, because quite Correct. frankly, they haven't actually made that much money out of the stuff that they're producing now because the prices are so low. So, um, yeah, look, and it's a hard thing for them. I fascinating. Mean, so can, oh, look, it's fascinating. And they can talk the talk. They can, all, they can all see that they should go to the energy transition, but it's actually so hard for a company that big with so much invested and that used to big profits, that used to big bonuses, Um to make that transition to the wind and energy and then it'll be in a much more democratised market where they're competing not just with um, other big oil companies but with a whole bunch of other solar and wind developers and, frankly, people like you and me who are sort of developing, uh, who are producing their own power. So different exactly ball game, right. different ball game, mm. yeah. Look, mm. I, look, while we're on the sort of the bigger picture, I just thought I might mention um, Andrew Forrest, who's um, a billionaire, well-known, um, I, I suppose, to, oh, to Twiggy. most people. Twiggy. Twiggy. So, look, he got into bed with, well, so to speak, with Mike Cannon-Brooks to sort of help fund the um, initial development of the Sun Cable uh, project up in Northern Territory, 10 gigawatts, 30 gigawatt hours of battery storage, 3,700 kilometer subsea cable to Singapore. I mean, the biggest in everything, you know, in every aspect. But look, he's also just announced that he's, um, his Fortescue Metals Iron Ore Company, which is where he's made his billions from, um, is going zero emissions by 2040, which is way quicker than, say, um, most other people are talking about a 2050 deadline. And wow. really reinforce the fact that he's right behind the UN target, the Paris target, well below two degrees. Now, look, again, probably a bit of talk to probably not so hard for an iron ore company to impose that. He's already got in 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 motion plans to have enough solar and storage to do 30% of his electricity needs for his iron ore mines, but it has an effect on the supply chains, both inwards and outwards. Mm -hmm. Two, when you've got a big billionaire like that talking about, you know, let's get going with the climate change thing, it does actually in, add an interesting dynamic to to the policy debate. And um, look, Australia is so far behind. I mean, as far as the federal government goes, you know, it's 
the most it can think of is 26% by 2030. It doesn't want to even think beyond that. So um, mm. I just mm. thought I'd just mention that that's a pretty good thing. Oh, and, look, and that is a good thing. I look forward to his next press conference on that to see who he's going to roll out and surprise the minister. <laughs> Twiggy's pretty good at that, right? He is pretty good. Look, I'm not too sure whether he's the sort of expert that um, that uh, Angus Taylor wants to be associated with, actually. So, <laughs> so they might make I'm not a sure he'll get a press conference with the minister again after the last episode, but... He's an interesting cat, isn't he? Uh, good on you, Twiggy, um, and good on you, Mike Cannon-Brooks, for, for getting him into the fold. They're, they're the kind of people who, you know, um, clearly are, um, you know, he's a bit of a renegade, Tw- Twiggy, and, uh, you know, being a being yeah. a mining magnate, but he, he does things a little bit differently. And, um, you know, so it'd be really, I, I really, um, I'm, I'm kind of really excited to hear that people like that are getting into this space yeah. and going, hang on. This actually does make sense. I'm a business person and this makes sense. Yeah. Well, look, they have the ability to not just change the conversation, they have the ability to also influence policy and um, and that's really good. And now, listen, talking about forecasts, I was kind of amused. I went, I, you know, um, every every year the Australian Energy Market Operator puts out what's called the um, ele- Electricity Statement of Opportunities. It's called the ESU. Oh. And this ESU is for the WEM in the Swiss over in WA. Just give you a couple of acronyms. Um, so the wholesale energy it. market in Western Australia, the Southwest in- Integrated System. It also does one for the national electricity market, which will come out in a month's time. But what I found really fascinating was just the focus it has on distributed energy. So it talks about the transformation of the WA grid, which I should point out is reasonably big, about 4,000 megawatts peak demand and completely isolated. So not connected to anything else. That's a really interesting case study of the transformation on an isolated grid. And it talks about the transition to a digitalized, democratized, and distributed grid. And basically, it's going to be built around rooftop solar, electric vehicles, demand management, and battery storage. And that's kind of fine. They say te- technically there's no particular issue. Like they say in the national electricity market, a lot of changes need to happen in the rules and regulations. They want to get new inverter standards in. They want to get new practices. They talk about community batteries and household batteries. But get this, just to, just to show you the sort of the variabilities that they're dealing with, they're talking about their solar PV forecasts. Now, under the low, the high, and the medium um, forecasts, they go from, they've got one point. Two 1.3 gigawatts of rooftop solar now, which is now, yeah, which is by far the biggest generator in the actual local grid. That's more than coal, the Muja, um, and and two of the Muja units will close in the next couple of years, but they won't be missed according to AEMO. But anyway, so PV will probably be accounting for about at least twenty percent of annual consumption um, by twenty thirty. 20% of energy. Wow. Yeah. And here's an interesting thing. So the forecasts vary from 1.3 now going up to either 1.8 in the low scenario, 2.6 in the medium scenario, which is one that we're working on, and 3.6. So almost treble what they've got now in 10 years' time, which would be extraordinary. Wow, which puts them nearly nearly equal to total peak capacity. Of four gigawatts, you absolutely. Said, right? It's four gigawatts. Well, that's right. Wow. Well, and that's the thing that they're mostly worried about. So they're not worried about peak demand anymore. They're actually worried about minimum demand. So they've got so much PV and distributed solar that there's mm. no consumption coming on the grid. Mm. How do they manage the grid when there's very little actual mm. visible consumption? So that's where storage and a change of practices come in, and that's really fascinating. But get this: here's their forecast for storage, okay. and it's fascinating because it changes from once again low, medium to high. So. Low is less than 500 megawatt hours. It's got about, look, 30 megawatt hours now. So low 
forecast for 2030 is about um, just under 500 megawatt hours. The medium forecast, which is what they're working on, is 800 megawatt hours. But the high forecast is more than three times that, 2,600 megawatt hours. And we all know wow. the experience of new technology forecasts. Everyone always undershoots it. So I find that well, really fascinating. We just talked about that, right? Exactly right. <laughs> so exactly the high right. is probably where we're going to land, right? Exactly. Or somewhere about there. And look, because we're talking statistics, I'm going to throw one more at you, and I found this is even, even a bigger variable. This is their forecast for... Gosh, you, re- you actually read this whole report, didn't you? I do, look, I do that. It's just sort of one of the things I do, one of the weird things I do. Um, when you're doing your sequestration. When I'm doing my sequestration. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so now this is electric vehicle forecast for the next 10 years in WA. The low forecast, 11,000 vehicles... Mm-hmm. By 2030, 20, 20, which is up from about 2030. So hang on, yeah, 2030. So that's the low forecast: eleven, just eleven thousand vehicles. And Jeez, that's most, a thousand, of, thousand cars a year. Well, right. not even because they actually reckon over the next six years it's going to be like a hundred or something like that. They forecast is ridiculous. Anyway, the expected one, which is the medium one, forecasts ninety nine thousand vehicles by twenty thirty. which isn't a heck of a lot, but it's about 10,000 cars a year. But the high forecast, and and these are forecasts that come from the CSIRO, the high forecast is for half a million electric vehicles by 2030, which basically means by that time, every car that's being sold will be, or just about, will be electric vehicles, and the whole fleet will be electric by 2040. The whole fleet, so that's existing vehicles too. So, and that's just basically um, they kind of explain the variations. It's different. It's about different cost projections. It's about uncertainty regarding policy decisions, difference in assumptions on infrastructure, i.e., charging, and um, you know whether we're heading for zero. Look, to me, it was kind of interesting because it just showed you the influence that policy can have. People sort of say, "Oh, well, we're not going to change anything. We can't accelerate it, or we shouldn't accelerate it." But here is a range of forecasts. From 11,000 vehicles in 10 years' time to half a million vehicles in 10 years' time. That's the difference. <laughs> that, is, that is a powerful change. <laughs> that's, that's, a fair, that's fairly safe that the consultants are going to get one of them right, right? <laughs> well, I think they've covered all avenues. <laughs> well, yes. somewhere in the middle. We had them surrounded. We had them surrounded. Oh, yeah. in the middle. Oh, no, it is fascinating. You're exactly right. What it what it talks about is the fact that, you know, when you sit down and you actually do these studies and, you know, 10, 20, 30 sounds so far away, Giles, but it's actually only 10 years. Um, it'll be five years before we blink, you know. This year is nearly, you know, we're nearly halfway through this year already. So, you know, these types of, these when you get into these types of timeframes, the variability is huge, of course. But we, as we said right at the beginning and we're seeing evidence all over again, it's kind of Groundhog Day and, and you know, the, the, the forecast for these types of technologies are inevitably low and, you know, we, I, I think it's clear that electric vehicles, despite the fact that we're very, very slow off the mark here in Australia, we'll catch up. And once we get rocking and rolling and um, start to follow what we're seeing in terms of growth in other countries around the world where they've just got a little bit behind it and where the scale and volume allows it to take off, whoosh, off you'll go. And, you know, we've seen multiple uh, cases of, of large-scale batteries and small-scale batteries really delivering the results that everyone hoped they would um, over the last couple of years. And, of course, PV's just an unstoppable freight train of, you know, solar goodness. So, you know... Um, that's that's fascinating to hear. An unstoppable freight train of solar goodness. 
That's fantastic, mm. Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, it's great. It's great. It's, it's what you do. That's right. <laughs> it's fantastic. Ah, oh, dear. Yeah. Look, um, there's some good news. There's a bit of bad news around, unfortunately. Um, there's, mm. um, we're not going to name any companies here, but we're just going to sort of... Um, no. Um, we're very worried. That, it's tough um, out there. Look, mm. it's tough out there. So we've seen all the statistics which tell us that, um, yes, there was a bit of a downturn in April and then May, but we're running 30% yes. ahead of this time last year. So it all looks peachy and yes. rosy and stuff like that. But that's not quite the reality of what's happening out there. And we hear through the grapevine that there are some businesses, including a couple of really well-known ones, that are in trouble. Hmm. Yeah, it's true, and you've only got to look on uh, on the ASIC insolvency website to see that um, you know just in the last few months there's been a number of solar companies um, you know listing for uh, winding up orders or um, you know voluntary liquidations or, or, or anything else. That's always the case. So it's you know I had a quick squiz before we came to air, and I don't think it. I don't, there's not there's not evidence that it's you know at, at a catastrophic or pandemic level, but certainly there are some companies out there that are suffering and have really suffered over the last last few months. Everyone's taken a bit of a hit, so it's kind of to be expected. And you know we aren't over this yet, although the um, you know business is starting to recover. But um, you know cash flow wise and scale wise, it's 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 been tough, and and it hasn't been um, uh, it, it, the toughest place to be. Has been in commercial. Um, there's no doubt about that. And anyone who's in commercial solar has all been all been giving us the same story. And that is that you know commercial collapsed in on itself a couple of months ago. And um, uh, in the peak of the pandemic, you know the market was perhaps eighty percent down on where it had been. So if you were if you were very very focused on commercial, it was a very tough place to be. And if you had a big overhead and you had some investors and everything else, then it could be a very very tough place to be. And there were rumours swirling last night on Facebook about uh, 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 one of the largest EPC companies, a company has been around for a long time and reinvented themselves and adapted to the solar coaster for, you know, the better part of 15 or 16 years being in uh, dire, dire trouble. And um, uh, so, you know, we hope that's not true. We hope that they can get through and um, we hope that, um, you know, all uh, good solar companies will survive, but you know clearly, Giles, it's very, very tough out there. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's you know it doesn't it the the resounding the, it was interesting the resounding feedback that I picked up on from the from a fairly long Facebook post on this topic last night was that everyone was devastated not only for the people involved who who'd worked so hard for decades to try and make this work and make an honest living out of it and provide you know at one stage I think seventy five jobs. Um, but it was bad for everyone else too, because when one of the big trees topples in the forest, it, it has, you know, it makes a lot of noise and everyone gets nervous about buying commercial solar then. So, um, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I hope that they can find a way through. Yeah, look, um, sympathies. I mean, it does actually, it really does strike home when these are people that you've seen around the place um, at conferences um, heard them, make, seen them, and heard them make presentations and stuff. We're not really good people in the industry. Done a fantastic job, and mm. um, haven't been able to make it through. Mm. So, look, we do wish them all the best, and um, hope they do get through. Um, and look, look, if we have mm. some news between now and next time, then um, maybe um, we'll we'll be able to talk about it more um, next time. But we don't want to sort of reveal their name quite now because um, it's probably everything's no, sensitive. Let's give them some breathing space. Absolutely, absolutely. But mm. just to express our sympathy, mm. and you know, to all the other. 
um, installers and traders and um, wholesalers out there who um, may be finding it tough. So, yeah. Mm. Hang in there, everyone. Hang in there, everyone. There's bright there's, and and get out and um, you know get it. Let's start getting back out there. That's um, I think um, sequester. I think that's the carbon. key for everyone now. Is let's yes, sequester some carbon. That's right. Um, I have to do an audit on the bar where my wife runs. You know, you've made me you've made me incredibly guilty about the carbon that's going through the beer taps now and. I know the sellerman. I better have a word to him. Clearly, it could be a trading opportunity. Nigel could be a big trading opportunity. I just, um, I'd get the right advisors if I was you. Now, look um, <laughs> back to reality. Um, the CEC ASR report. Now, I understand. Only understand one of those acronyms, but um, yeah. what's ASR? Yeah, look, the, the, the Clean Energy Council runs the approved solar retail program, and I know ah. there are some people who really love it, and there are some people who really, really hate it. And um, very esteemed uh, Finn Peacock from Solar Quotes uh, wrote a wrote a fairly um, fairly critical piece this week about it, and I do com- I do you know empathise with the views of of those who don't like it. Um, however. Uh, in their quarterly report, they did highlight some of the good things that they've been able to do in terms of compliance um, and progress towards compliance. Um, so, you know, in summary, the, 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 go and read the report if you want all the details. But one of the, a couple of good headlines is compared to last year, the number of um, the number of complaints lodged. Um, has actually gone down, which is terrific. Um, there was a there was a big peak, a surge in 2019, but it's dropped by a bit over 20% uh, through to the same period in 2020. So that's good news. Um, uh, secondly, you know, whilst um, you know the ASR isn't able to always do everything that would you know appear um, to be obvious, um, whilst they navigate the legal challenges of um, you know perhaps taking a Away the the ASR status, which is required if you want to sell in certain programs or places, there have been an ongoing number of suspensions, which is really really good. And you know, I chatted with a couple of people about this, and you know, the good news is that you can suspend someone um, if they're an ASR. If they're not an ASR, there's nothing you can do if someone's doing false or misleading advertising or acting unconscionably or or, or, or various other things. There's very little that. Um, there's nothing the CC can do. It's down to consumer affairs and various individual consumer complaints, which don't often get far. So they have suspended a number of companies, which is great. Some of those companies have got back into the scheme by being able to demonstrate that they've changed their behaviour. And that's the thing I actually love about this scheme is if you whack someone in, on the head with a stick and say, if you keep doing that, I'm going to take this away and I'm going to audit you. I'm going to force you to show me how you are controlling things in a way that prevents this bad behavior from happening again. They're causing change. And um, that is a really, really good outcome in my view. Uh, and they have the ability to do that through the ASR. They have also canceled only a couple um in recent times, but there have been two companies who are named um, uh, who, you know, neither did the right thing, nor did they fail to actually show any effort to try and do the right thing. Um, so they have both been removed um, and and they had their status cancelled. So, you know, um, rightly or wrongly and, and imperfect as it is, um, it's great to see um, the quarterly report from the ASR showing that they continue to make progress. Importantly, that uh, number of complaints is down a bit 
it and action continues. Um, there's a lot of hardworking people. They're really genuinely trying to help the industry. So um, good on the team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd sort of echo that too. Um, it's good to have some sort of tight regulation. We've got a lot of very good people in the industry, but we do know that there are some less good people in the industry and we need to weed out um, bad installations and um, people who don't um, perform properly as a corporate entity and don't treat customers well. So, um um, Indeed. Sayonara. Mate, um, I just think we'll just take a quick break now to hear from one of our sponsors. SunWiz are Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's new partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by a world-leading solar software platform. With personalised training and assistance, PV retailer benchmarking and individually tailored proposals, SunWiz will accelerate your solar business in the right direction. Unlock the wisdom of 10 years' experience assisting leading solar companies by visiting sunwiz.com.au. And we'd like to thank all our sponsors, of course. That's uh, Clenergy, Solar Analytics and SunWiz. Um, PVCell from SunWiz, we do thank you all for your ongoing support, um, without which we'd, um, we'd struggle to make this podcast the exciting event that it actually is now, Nigel. Right, um... <laughs> Before we wrap up for the day, I just thought, well, we better go into electric vehicle land because it's come a bit of a habit of ours uh, of, of 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 recently. Look, just looking at the, um, you know, on our website, thedriven.io, which is you know where we sort of put most of our EV um, stuff um, recently. It, um, the, the interest sort of died down a bit after the Model Three came out. I mean, the interest was huge before then, but now it's ramping back mm. up. A bit. People are getting quite interested about the Model Y. People are getting quite interested about the Cybertruck. People are getting quite interested about. Well, look, there's been a few new models arrive in the market. There's the Audi e-tron on its way. There's the Mercedes EQC. There's an MG. There's a Mini. There's a um, God. What else is there? There's a Porsche Taycan, which is going to arrive soon. I mean, a lot of those are horrendously expensive. Jag. The Jag. Mm. Yes. But a lot of interest just on battery and um, battery developments and the single cathode thing. Was a lot and vehicle to grid. And people, vehicle, vehicle vehicle people talking about vehicle to grid stuff in Australia. Good Lord. Yeah, well, they've got, to, they've got to dance their way around a few networks and regulators and rules and standards people. I'm not too sure how quickly that's going to be. I mean, of course, we did see the Nissan Leaf come in here advertising itself as vehicle to grid capable i suppose was a bit capable to describe it but not allowed basically in australia and may not be for a while longer as they go through all those different sort of you know um you know setups and and, and how they can operate and just to make the networks sort of happy but um, look battery storage the million mile batteries and um, we're going to be watching out for the tesla battery day whenever that's held sometime in the next few weeks and um could be a big breakthrough time in um in um in history and, and i'd just like to point out that tesla just the, i think it was early this week or late last week actually went beyond 1000 us dollars a share which actually made it oh i can't remember what the sum was 250 billion dollar company or something like that i mean bigger than the biggest the most valuable car maker in the world beyond toyota quite extraordinary um and even this Nikola company, which is supposed to be making hydrogen uh, cars, has actually made one yet, and its market cap over, overtook that of Ford. So, you know, we started <laughs> off this conversation talking about big oil going down the gurgler and sort of, you know, trying to switch over to wind and solar in a blind panic. Um, geez, I mean, it's, it's, it's already happening in the, um, in the automobile market. Um, yeah, just stunning, stunning. 
It is stunning, and and I think you know, um, you know, we've clearly had a bit of a bit of a trip and a stumble this year. You know, the, everything's kind of slowed down a bit here locally, so it's a bit hard to feel super enthusiastic. But when you see these kinds of changes in share price, and you know, the persistence of the innovators out there to try and bring this tech um, through, it's um, you know, it's heartening. It's heartening. I think. Um, you know what we need now is you know when we get when we get things back to normal towards the end of the year hopefully then um hopefully we'll start actually seeing a lot more EVs proliferating on the roads in Australia and and more people enjoying the benefits it's funny i went for a for a quick uh, a quick squirt up the up the peninsula where i live uh, on the weekend and it was quite remarkable actually um slightly wealthier end of town of course up on, up towards palm beach but it was just remarkable how many teslas i saw R- remarkable you know and just parked under the tree covered in bad shit for goodness sake you know <laughs> this is you know just yeah, it's just a car. Park it outside on the road, mate. It gets covered in bat crap because the bats live there. But it's just a car, you know. It's not. It take. It made it so normal to see one covered in bat crap. To be honest, it it made it. Uh, that, that was the thing that struck me. Was it's not, um, you know, the freaky thing that it was a few years ago. Or this highly, um, yeah. you know, eclectic and desirable. It's just a car. Absolutely. And that's what we've got. Coming right down the road. Absolutely, I've got to say that's one of the one of the favourite remarks that's been said about my car because it does get quite dirty. And someone said the other day, saying it's actually really good to see a dirty one because normally they're all sort of shiny and new and things like that. So it's, it's fantastic to see one that's actually used and um, and gets dirty. But you know, I do clean it every now and again. So um, that's good, mate. I think that's probably a bit of a wrap for today. Um, it's been a very entertaining. Um, I think you're right. I, I want to give a shout out to the listeners though, because I've had a lot of people popping up around the woodwork lately saying, Oh, we love love the podcast, listen to the podcast, you know. And um so a big shout out to the listeners. Without all of you, we we um we would, you know, just shrivel up in a little ball and you know, just you, you know, not have such a good time every two weeks. So thank you for listening. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, don't hesitate to uh, give us a like uh, in the appropriate places or, um, you know, send us a suggestion for the types of topics that you'd like to hear us chatting about. And, of course, um, don't forget our sponsors who need your support too. Absolutely. And those sponsors are, once again, um, Kernergy Solar Analytics and um, PV Cell from Sunwiz. And if anyone does have any advice about my carbon capture and sequestration issues, then please do drop me a line. And um, Nigel, we'll be back in a fortnight. And don't forget, winter... Is it, oh, wait. is it winter solstice or winter, winter equinox next week? I know. It's the shortest day of the year. So after that, oh. you'll all be looking up. That's right. All those uh, all those underperforming solar systems will start turning around and things will start looking rosy again in only a week or two. <laughs> a wonderful way to end the podcast. Thanks, Nigel, and bye, everyone. Talk, talk again soon. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's new partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. Run your business at maximum velocity with pro setup, training and assistance. Visit sunwiz.com.au.
Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.